Football Tutter Team Podcast, part of a series of podcasts helping you understand a little more about aspects of UK tax. This episode, to help rental property owners, looks at various questions of how tax interacts with letting residential property and how to report details to HMRC. This episode features Hilary Vick and Russell Eisen. I've just purchased a buy-to-let property as an investment. Is there anything I need to do in terms of telling HMRC? The short answer is probably not, or at least not yet. For taxpayers who already complete annual tax returns, they will not need to do anything immediate in terms of advising HMRC of the new investment. Instead, when you complete your next tax return, that is when you'll need to report the details. If, however, you've not previously completed a tax return, then you'll need to tell the revenue following the next 5th of April that you will need a tax return issuing to you. Of course, you need to make sure you record all the relevant details of the rental income and expenses from day one, and retain all your receipts and other paperwork. OK, so what do I need to put on my tax return? When you come to complete your normal tax return for the relevant year, so in this case the year ended 5th of April 2015, you'll need to make sure you also complete the correct property pages. Just to clarify, if the property is in the UK, then you need to complete the UK property section, the SA105 pages to use the technical term. However, if the property you've purchased is outside the UK, then do not include the details on these UK property pages, but rather on the foreign income pages. This may appear obvious, I know, but it is important how you report property details on your return, because there are differing tax treatments to certain property, and where you report the income depends on the tax classification of the property. For example, where you have a furnished holiday let, then whether this is inside the UK or in the rest of Europe, this still gets reported on the UK section. So if you let out a holiday villa in the south of France, this may actually be reported on the UK property section. And even then there is an exception to this. I think you've lost me already. Do I need to be bothered with a holiday let when I've just got a normal property being let out? Sorry. When dealing with any aspect of tax, it is necessary to understand exactly what is being referred to, as the tax treatment differs depending on circumstances. Perhaps I should explain. There are four main types of residential property scenarios each with their own rules. Firstly, and probably the most common, is the very straightforward, unfurnished rental property, very much as I think is your case. This simply means that you own the property, but the tenants are responsible for furnishing this as they wish. Secondly, in contrast therefore, is where you rent a property fully furnished. The reason as to why this distinction is important is that there is an additional tax relief available for furnished properties. Thirdly, is what is called furnished holiday let, Whilst this has nothing to do with the property being located in a holiday resort, there are very special criteria that do need to be met for a property to be designated as such, but once it is, the tax treatment can be quite advantageous. Finally, some people may let out property under the rent-a-room scheme. This is not actually letting out a separate property, but where you let out a furnished room or rooms in your own home. In these circumstances, the tax rules are different again. Okay, so I understand there are some differences. As I was thinking of putting some furniture in my property, I assume that means it's classed as furnished? Well, the first point is to determine whether or not your property will actually be accepted as being furnished by the revenue. Just because you put some furniture in it doesn't necessarily make it furnished. By way of background, historically the receipt of income from the provision of furniture was not always treated as the same as receipt of income from provided in the underlying property. And so for ease, it was decided to effectively merge the two in the concept of furnished property. 
The revenue will usually consider a property to be furnished if it is capable, in their words, of normal occupation without the tenant having to provide their own beds, chairs, tables, sofas and other furnishings, cookers, etc. The provision of nominal furnishings will not meet this requirement. Obviously, there is always room for a debate as to what is and what is not furnished. But keep in mind the extra tax relief is only due where a property is fully furnished. So there is always a risk HMRC could challenge the position where you claim a property to be furnished. Point noted. Assuming I furnish it fully, what is this additional tax relief you keep referring to? This is called the wear and tear allowance. Essentially, this allowance acts as an additional expense of your business, although strictly you do need to elect to claim this additional tax relief. The amount you can claim as an expense is roughly 10% of the rents you receive. Although this sounds good, it is only an alternative. Without the election for the relief, you continue to be able to claim a deduction for replacing utensils and repairing furniture. Normally, the wear and tear allowance will be of greater value, certainly in most years. But this may not always be the case, and you cannot pick and choose whether you wish to claim the relief or not each year unless the property ceases to be treated as fully furnished. Although I said the relief is roughly 10% of the rents you receive, there is sometimes an adjustment you need to make. Specifically, before applying the 10%, you need to deduct from rents any expenses that would normally be borne by the tenant. The type of expenses that thus need to be deducted include utility bills and council tax. Just to be clear about this allowance, it is designed to cover things like movable furniture and furnishings, for example beds and sofas, electrical and white goods, for example TVs, fridges, carpets and other floor coverings, curtains and linen, crockery and cutlery. Equally, it is therefore important to understand what the relief doesn't cover, so as appropriate, you can still claim repair costs on items such as bathroom fittings, baths, wash basins, immersion heaters and other boilers. That sounds potentially like a good relief. What does it mean in terms of actual tax saving? Your rental profit, and if eventually you have more than one property, then that is the combined profit from all properties within one of the particular categories I referred to, is taxed at your marginal rate of tax. Thus, if your total income, including the rental income, is roughly below £40,000, then you will only pay 20% tax on the rental profit. If your income is higher, then you'll pay 40% tax, and where your total income exceeds £150,000, you will pay 45% on the rental profit. Hence, the tax saving by claiming the wear and tear allowance depends on what rate of tax you normally pay at. So aside from this wear and tear allowance, if I have a, have a furnished property or if I change my mind and let the property unfurnished, what other expenses can I claim tax relief for? That's a bit of an open-ended question. How long have you got? There are perhaps two obvious costs being mortgage interest and repairs, but these have a number of quirks to them, so I'll come back to those. The starting point is how the revenue treat property expenses. Whether you have just one property or several, HMRC work on the basis that you are operating a property business. This being the case, then the approach to claiming tax relief for expenses is just like any other kind of business, and thus generally the expenses can fall into one of two categories. Either expenses directly related to the property, for example mortgage interest, repairs, including gardening as appropriate, and management fees if you decide to use a letting agent, or expenses relating to the management of your property business, for example advertising for tenants, legal and accountancy fees, and so on. As with any type of business, the main two points to remember are that, 
Firstly, the expense must be wholly and necessarily incurred for the purpose of the business. And secondly, the expense cannot be of a capital nature. This latter point means there is no annual tax relief like depreciation you can claim associated with the actual property cost. This aspect of not being of a capital nature is also important when considering repairs, because where there is an element of improvement in the cost incurred, no tax relief will be available. So things like interior and exterior decorating, mending window frames, damp or dry rot treatment, replacing tiles on a roof will all be allowable as a repair. In contrast, putting in a new bathroom or converting the garage into another room will be seen as a capital cost and will not be an allowable deduction against your rental income. Perhaps one oddity in this is that the revenue will accept that replacing single glazing with double glazing is no longer seen as a capital improvement but is allowable as a repair. You mentioned mortgage interest. Why is this so problematic? Surely it's just the interest you pay to the lender. You're right in a way, but only in straightforward cases. Interest you pay on loans to purchase a rental property, or indeed carry out renovation or improvements, are all allowable as a deduction against your rental profits. But what happens, for example, if instead of you taking out a buy-to-let mortgage, you purchase the property by extending the mortgage on your own property? Mortgage interest paid on a rental property is an allowable expense, but interest paid on your own home mortgage is not. That's how complications can arise. However, there's lots of planning that we can do around this situation in order to ensure the maximum interest deduction is available. I don't think such planning is relevant in this case, but if you change your mortgage structure, please let me know and we can talk more about this. You also refer to repairs being a problem. I understand from what you said about there being a difference between capital improvements and repairs, so is there anything else I need to be aware of? There used to be something called the renewals allowance. As furnished properties have the wear and tear allowance, this renewals allowance only applies to unfurnished lettings. This allowance related to the cost of replacing furniture and furnishings. However, from the 6th of April 2013, the legislation changed. As a result of the change, landlords are now unable to claim a deduction for the cost of replacing furniture. Examples of items affected include freestanding cookers and other white goods, carpets, curtains and similar items. As mentioned, you are still able to claim tax relief for the cost incurred of repairing an item, but the total replacement of items is otherwise not a repair. There are some exceptions to the new rules where the revenue accept the expenditure as being a repair to the property, and this includes cost of replacing integrated white goods such as fitted washing machines or equipment such as boilers, water heaters and air conditioning systems, but only where less than 50% of the system is being replaced. So overall, this change will make it harder to claim tax relief on some expenditure that you will probably incur. Properties that are regarded as furnished holiday lets, I told you these were special, are also unaffected as landlords can continue to claim something called capital allowances for the cost of purchasing, replacing furniture and fittings used in the property. You mentioned at the start some exceptions to not needing to take any immediate action in advising HMRC. What were you referring to? One specific area is what we call non-UK residents, i.e. someone or indeed a company resident outside the UK that commences to let out a property in the UK. There are special rules that mean either the managing agent or indeed the tenant themselves need to deduct tax at a rate of 20% before paying over the rents to the landlord. It is possible, however, to avoid this cash flow disadvantage 
by joining what is called the non-resident landlord scheme. To do this, you need to complete a specific form and send off to the revenue once you've purchased the property. Hence, this should be done before the property is let out to ensure there is no unnecessary deduction of tax. I've heard some people using a limited company to hold the property and rent it out. Is this something I should consider? That's a tough one to answer just like that. It all depends on a number of circumstances, including, for example, how long you anticipate keeping the property for, whether you personally need the cash from the rental income, what is your tax rate compared to that of the company, whether you'll be adding to your property portfolio. If you intend to sell the property, would you sell the company instead? Essentially, you need to look at how the property is going to be purchased in the first place and the tax implications of that. What are the tax differences that arise through the duration of renting the property out, especially taking into account how you would then extract cash from the company? And finally, what are the tax differences that arise on the sale of the property? And again, as appropriate, how do you take sale proceeds out of the company? When you're considering whether to put a rental property into a company or not, it's not necessarily something you need to determine from the outset. It is possible to incorporate your rental business using specific tax relief, but I suggest that's another conversation. Okay, but before we leave the topic of ownership, what happens if I own the property jointly with my husband? Could that lead to any saving in tax? That depends on your respective income positions. If one of you is paying tax at a greater rate than the other, then there is a possibility that dividing the income between you will save some tax. However, you need to be aware of the relevant rules in relation to this. The revenue will assume that if income is being split between you and your spouse, then the split is an equal 50-50. This 50-50 split may or may not be as beneficial as you would wish, so you'll need to look closely at this. It is possible in certain circumstances to claim a different split from the 50-50. To do this, you need to file a specific declaration with the revenue called a Form 17. However, and crucially, you can only do this if the underlying ownership of the property is in the same proportion as the split claimed. So, for example, you cannot claim your partner is entitled to 90% of the income if, legally, they only have a share in the property that equates to 40%. In that circumstance, you would either need to change the legal ownership or their income allocation would be limited to 40%. One final question. Many investors purchase a buy-to-let to benefit from the increase in capital value as much, if not more, than from the rental income. So what happens when I finally sell the property? As with any capital asset, any gain in value will be subject to capital gains tax. Almost certainly this gain will be taxed at a rate of 28% using current rates Although, if not otherwise utilised, the first £11,000 of the gain will be covered by your capital gains tax annual exemption. This may be another good reason for holding the property jointly with your spouse, as then between the two of you, the first £22,000 of the gain is tax-free. Thank you for that. I think that's clarified many of the issues I had in relation to this. However, I'll probably be back to speak to you shortly about helping me with my tax return to report this rental income. I'd be delighted to help out. In the meantime, you may want to listen to our podcast about completing tax returns. 